it just feels like with intercessors that you got to keep encouraged. <laughs> uh, it feels kind of surreal. So you wonder, is my prayers doing anything? So that's what we we're going to start on today is something we found that worked. And so when that happens, I always call, you know, the intercessors and say, here, here's something that we were finding that works. And it gives you a new way to pray or a new set of scriptures. So I know every time you talk to our intercessors, they're praying for the country. They're praying against the corruption. They're praying against the evil. They're praying against losing our freedoms on every front. I know as intercessors, they just feel like they're on the front lines. And many times what we need is encouragement. You know, it's just overwhelming. I mean, we could talk all day. If I started the conversation, what's wrong in our world? What's wrong in our country? What's wrong in our city? What's even wrong in our families? We can have a conversation at just no end. And you got to be careful that you're not talking the problem to God, praying the problem, and not actually getting to praying the answer, where you're not actually praying the answer. So what's wrong in the world is endless. And so I'm going to directly target that idea. I'm going to directly target something that will help us because you can't afford to wear down in prayer. You know, in Luke 18 where it talks about, he said, I'm encouraging you that you don't wear out in prayer. And so he tells a parable. And then at the end of it, he says, in verse 6, he says, will I find faith when I come back? And so it correlates the praying and then the parable is about a lady who had to do something because the injustice was so bad against a family member of hers. But then it says, will I find faith? So you're having to keep the faith. You're having to pray. You're having to believe that your prayer makes a difference. If it didn't, why would we pray? So you've got to really have a belief, a faith, a knowing that God really hears you when you pray. But part of it is praying effectively. Part of it is where you're actually praying exactly what God is um, wanting you to pray, and that's the answer and not the problem. That's where you're using your faith. So this is to give you a hope to not wear down, to know that God is given us strategies in prayer, that we can come against the schemes of the enemy, and to not give up. So it's been a while since I've really felt like the intercessors across the country have really united on something or they've come together in agreement on how to pray. I know there was a certain point that all the intercessors occasionally would get together and, and we'd really pray a certain set of scriptures. And suddenly it just seemed like everybody got disillusioned. And I was talking to an intercessor in another country and her country just had the same thing that happened to America and their country fell. And she was talking about the disillusionment. She was talking about, you know, we've been praying and fasting, and she says, you know, it, it didn't go down the way we thought it would. And, of course, it's very new to them because they feel like that their country has just been overrun with communism, and they're afraid. And we're living in times like that. And so this is what this pertains to. It's what I want to give you, and it's very unique how it came to us, but also what it is. It's the concept of the fear of the Lord. Now, if you ask me, what did I know about the fear of the Lord? What would I tell you about the fear of the Lord? I would tell you the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. <laughs> I think it's in there three times. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of, one time it says wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And that's all I knew. The fear of the Lord just starts you out on your understanding. It's the knowledge of the Lord. But everything radically changed in the depth of the fear of the Lord, the understanding of the fear of the Lord. 
almost the shock that I could read my Bible for this many years and not see the power of the fear of the Lord. But it all started for us one morning on an uh, exceptional date in our modern history that won't soon be forgotten. I think this date will live in infamy. So people were at the point that we were just... We were at the point that we just decided we needed to do something about it. Like, we have to do something. We have to have a change. We have to be heard. We can't let our country fall to these darker forces. We can't let evil men win or corruption. We have to stand up for truth. We have to stand up for right. That's what our values have been uh, built on. And so it was that kind of a partnership. It was one of those days where everything just kind of came to a, just a, a conflict. It just all came to a head. It just came to the point that something had to be done. So that morning, I asked Steph, what are we going to agree on? We have this joke between us that she said quite a few things, but they were just too spiritual for me. I, I go, Steph, that's too spiritual for me. I mean, that's too spiritual. I can't make that work. And suddenly she said something that literally changed everything for me. She said, let's agree that the fear of the Lord falls today. And I said, yeah, that would be great. Of course, when I think the fear of the Lord would fall on our country, if the fear of the Lord would fall on wicked men, if the fear of the Lord would fall on people, I was thinking they'll repent. So while you can make a case for what happened that day is, in some ways I would say, yeah, the fear of the Lord was the beginning of knowledge for these people. You could almost make a, a case for the fear of the Lord starting at that point. It did have an effect on them, but it didn't fall the way that I thought it would fall. And I would tell you, when we agreed in prayer and we started doing our, our scripture of using our authority and praying for the fear of the Lord and just praying over this location, praying that the fear of the Lord would fall on people and they wouldn't be just able to be evil and have no repercussions, that they wouldn't be able to just act any way that they wanted to act, but it would truly have a, an effect on them. We were shocked. They truly got afraid. Like they went into terror. Like, it made the news. No one could believe it. <laughs> the fear of the Lord fell on them. I mean, they truly were afraid for their life. And there was nothing to be truly afraid of. It was just a talk. It was just something that you were expressing your views. You just It, it wasn't anything any more in the natural than just that issue. And the fear of the Lord fell. And it seems like wicked people when they're exposed to the presence of God, that it makes them afraid. Just kind of like Adam and Eve, when they were right with God, they would walk with him in the cool of the evening. But when they weren't right with God, the fear of God made them hide. They ran from him. And so you see that the fear of the Lord has an effect on people. It does something to them. And it's something that's clearly laid out for us. And so I thought, wow, so since we'd agreed on the fear of the Lord and everything turned out so shockingly different than we could have ever imagined, and that people really, truly became afraid. Like they, they weren't kidding. They, they had all kinds of vain imaginations. But they had never been confronted with it. I guess as Christians, we get used to it. You know, it's called conviction. We're used to the Lord telling us things. They've never been corrected. They had never had anything come, and they had to make a change. They had to make a difference. I don't know what their parents were doing and raising them, but not everything they do needs to be clapped for. And so when the holy presence of God fell, it was marvelous for the eyes to see. It was unique. 
And so I wondered, what had we prayed? I mean, what did it mean? You got to realize my thoughts were still just two ideas of it's the beginning of knowledge or it'll bring them to repentance. And neither of which of those did I see happen. Now, I mean, maybe they got a little smarter. It was the beginning of some sort of common sense or at least seeing the, you know, the fact that, how would I express it? Like the urgency of the matter, that there were other people out there, that their ideas didn't reign supreme. That what God says and what his will is and what our country is founded on and the fact that we're a Christian nation, that that is what stands. So I've never seen in Scripture the results which happens when the fear of the Lord falls. I had never seen what takes place during that time. So I'd never seen it in the Scripture, but because of what happened, I thought maybe we should look into it. So I put together a list of Scriptures on what happens when the fear of the Lord transpires. And so I'm going to challenge you anytime that you want to pray for the nation and you feel overwhelmed or you feel like the evil is beyond what any man could do or anything could change it. You start to feel hopeless. Remember, it's when the fear of the Lord comes. It's when the presence of the Lord prevails. When his fear falls, it will make a big difference. Like, so when you want to pray for our nation, pray that the fear of the Lord falls. Anytime you see that evil, you feel overwhelmed, I tell you, it is a day that will change history. And just like we experienced it, you also see this in the Bible. Like every time it fell, it was a day to be remembered. It was a day that something took place. And that's why you get tired of praying. You don't want to pray and nothing takes place. You don't want to pray and nothing ever changes, nothing ever happens, nothing ever is going to be any difference. It's just going to be the same old corruption generation after generation. It's just never going to work out. Nothing's going to make a difference. But not with this. When this takes place, it makes a definite point on the calendar. It makes a difference. It makes a defining of the issues. It really is a defining moment. So we pray for the fear of the Lord to come upon us because it has one effect on those who belong to him and it has a completely different effect on people that are evil. It has one effect on those who belong to him and quite another effect on evildoers. It is just completely a different idea. So this is a call to the intercessors. This is something that I think we can agree on, that we can pray that God's glory, God's presence, God's fear falls on our nation. You know, after this, I'm going to give you the scriptures on a piece of paper that I've found, and it might be one scripture in it that you find that leaps off the page, and that'll be what you'll pray for something. You may go down it and say, oh, this is the one. This is the one we're going to agree on. Or you may want to read all the fear of the Lord scriptures or all the passages on it. You know, you might want to read them all out of one book. Or read them as a composite of all of them together. But we're going to take a look at the ones I found. We're going to look at what the fear of the Lord does when it falls on people. Because this isn't something that we found that I want to put it under a bushel. This isn't something I want to hide and just keep to myself. This is something I want to shout from the housetops because we do have a voice in how this goes down. We do have choice. Prayer does make a difference. Your intercessions, and especially when you have two or three in agreement, 
When we start coming together and saying, it's worth my time to be here. It's worth my time to listen to this message. It's worth my time to go over scriptures. If it's worth my time, then God will move. So this is a call for intercessors to pray for the fear of the Lord when we're praying for our nation, our country, our city, our state, our leaders, anything that you feel that's overwhelming. This is what I invite you to pray. All right, let's go. The fear of the Lord and what the fear of the Lord does to people. Well, let's study the blessing that we've been given by being given the fear of the Lord for our lives. Now, I'm going to start with the first time in Scripture that I found the fear of the Lord. But I want to start with one Scripture in Genesis a little bit earlier than that because I think it helps us understand a distinction. So let's look in Genesis 9-2. And I want you to see what fear does, just the, even the concept of fear. And that's where it lays it out in Genesis. And it says, The fear and the terror of you will be on every living creature on the earth, every bird of the sky, every creature that crawls on the ground, and all the fish of the sea. They are placed under your authority. And what you see by this is because the animals have fear of us, it keeps them from making us be their prey. It keeps from them coming up and eating us. (laughs) You know, it keeps bad things from happening to us. But they actually say that the closer we get to the end, that the animals start losing their fear of us. And that's exactly what we're talking about, is that we're seeing these stories in the news of coyotes coming up and taking children right in people's front yard in cities, of all things. I'm seeing python snake swallow a kid in a swimming pool. I was reading about a hippopotamus and ate a little boy, but thank goodness the Lord, it was like Jonah, he threw him back out. But you're seeing that barrier between the fear of the animal kingdom and the fear of man that it's actually not as strong. And I think it's because we're not walking in authority. If we're not in authority, we don't have the fear of the Lord on us for the animal kingdom. Because that's what he placed on us so that we would. That's why with a dog, if you're walking in your authority, a dog can sense it. Because we're living more like animals ourselves, we're being treated like it. Our behavior is becoming more like animals. So the point that I'm making with starting these fear of the Lord scriptures is that you can say this, that fear places a boundary. It divides and domains. Like where it talks about don't revile authorities because even angels keep their proper domains. There's domains in the uh, heavenlies and the principalities where man is, where the animal kingdom lives, and they're not supposed to bleed over. So if we give Satan our authority when we shouldn't, if we do things where we're not walking in our authority, it makes a difference. So... Look at this. So fear places a boundary between humans and animals and between good and evil. And it's the first thing it says in Genesis 9-2, that animals were made with a boundary on them. So we're going to start the fear of the Lord's scriptures, and this is the first one that I found, was in Genesis 35-5. And I'm going to just read scripture to you. Very seldom do I just take it and we just do a lot of reading scripture. But the power of the scripture is overwhelming. It's like the weight of the evidence is shocking. So 
In this first one, in Genesis 35, it says, As they set out, a terror from God fell upon the surrounding cities so that they did not pursue Jacob's sons. The first time I find fear of the Lord in Scripture, it's for our protection. And it fell on the cities. So it means that large groups of people had the fear of the Lord fall on them, and it protected a small group of people. And so when it fell, it says they decided not to pursue them. So as we studied the fear of the Lord in Exodus 14, 24, at the morning watch, however, the Lord looked down on the army of the Egyptians from the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled their camp. That's King James Version. And he threw them in confusion that actually there's trouble in the camp of the wicked. That they're not allowed to just do anything they want. Their army cannot come and take over God's people. Exodus 15, 16, one chapter later. And the terror and the dread will fall on them. And they will be as a stone because of your powerful arm until your people pass by, Lord, until your people whom you purchased pass by. So the people freeze up. They paralyze. They can't move. And it's because terror and dread comes on them, and it means they can't move to do the wickedness they had planned on doing. They can't do what they planned to do to you. Exodus 23, 27, I will send my fear before thee and will destroy all the people to whom thou shalt come, and I will make all thine enemies turn their backs unto thee. And so it means they're not going to come at you continuously, just full front face. That's how your enemies are. They're bold. They're in your face. They're constantly trying to make your life miserable. But he says, no, the fear of the Lord will turn it, and you'll only see their back. They're going to run. So I'll send my fear before you. Deuteronomy 2, 25. Starting today, I will begin to instill fear and terror of you. So there's a point in time. This is beginning today. You may never have had this on your life where you carry this in the spiritual realm. It's a weight. It's a weight of glory. And it says, And I will begin to instill fear and terror of you on the part of every nation under heaven who hears reports about you. They will tremble in anguish before you. And I would say Israel carries that. It's a little bitty sliver of real estate. But everybody quakes in fear. Their military, their intelligence community, (laughs) the way they think, (laughs) because they defend the land of the Lord. So the fear of the Lord, it's something that's tangible. It takes place. Look at this one in Deuteronomy 7, 17 through 21. You may say to yourself, these nations are stronger than we are. How can we drive them out? I mean, I'm hearing the same things that we're saying. They're bigger than what we are. The truth is they're just louder than what we are. But he said, do not be afraid of them. Remember well that the Lord your God, what he did to Pharaoh and to Egypt, You saw it with your eyes, the great trials, the signs and the wonders, the mighty hand and outstretched arm with which the Lord your God brought you out. The Lord your God will do the same to all the people you now fear. Moreover, the Lord your God will send the hornet among them until even the survivors who hide from you have perished. Do not be terrified by them, for the Lord your God 
who is among you is a great and awesome God. It's amazing. We are not supposed to fear those who the fear of the Lord falls on. Even when it talks about the hornet in Revelation, it is meant for those who oppose God. Like someone said, the tribulation is not for the believers. It's for the ones that don't know the Lord. It gives them a chance. Deuteronomy 11.25, no one will be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will instill terror and fear of you throughout the entire land wherever you go, just as he promised you. So when you move, the fear of the Lord goes with you, just like he promised. So when I was studying the blessings in Scripture, when the Lord said, if you, you know, love me, then these will be the blessings or the blessing covenant, it's not what you would think. I think, in fact, Christians are repelled by this concept. But it's literally part of the blessing. In Deuteronomy 28, 10, it says, Then all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall love you and bless you and treat you kindly. Is that what it says? It's the blessing. Then when all the peoples of the earth shall see that you're called by the name of the Lord, they shall be afraid of you. That's the blessing. Part of the blessing is that people will fear you if they're not right with God. And as Christians, we have tried to get everyone to like us, and so we become like the world. <laughs> but it's a new time of rising up in the fear of the Lord. Now let me read you the reverse. This is the curse in Deuteronomy 28, 25. If you don't love the Lord and you, you don't hold him as your uh, as as your one who's most dear to you and your joy with him. But it says the Lord will cause you to be defeated by your enemies. You will go out against them in one direction, but you will flee from them in seven directions. Consequently, you'll be in a state of great terror throughout the kingdoms of the earth. So it's the curse if you're afraid. It's the blessing if they're afraid. Oh, the fear of the Lord. Deuteronomy 31, 12 through 13. It says, gather the people together, men and women and little ones, and the stranger who is within your gates, that they may hear and that they may, watch this, learn to fear the Lord your God. And carefully observe the words of the law, that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, as long as you live in the land which you crossed the Jordan to possess. So, it's something that kids have to learn. Do you suppose our problem with this generation is the children have not learned the fear of the Lord? And it throws on there the men and the women and the little ones and the foreigners, the strangers. Are the people coming over into our country learning the fear of the Lord? <laughs> it says they must learn the fear of the Lord. And you have to carefully observe the words of the law so that the children, those who don't know the fear, will learn it. Deuteronomy 34, 12. No prophet who did all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent Moses to do in the land of Egypt to the Pharaoh and to all his officials. So no prophet did all these signs and these wonders that the Lord sent Moses to do. And no prophet who performed all the mighty acts of power and acts of terror that Moses did in the sight of Israel. You're seeing that it was before Egypt and before Israel. So you're seeing fear of the Lord when they had to be delivered from bondage. 
but fear of the Lord with their own people. Are you seeing that that's what the fear of the Lord does in leadership? That other countries are afraid of you. But even Israel itself, even your own nation, sees the signs and the wonders, and they're like terror to them because it shows that God's really there. So just in the beginning, first five books of the Bible, there is enough fear of the Lord's scriptures that we could change things around with intercession. We could change things around with, with proclaiming and speaking and declaring what God's saying by calling in, Lord, you're holy. I want to fear you. So other people actually see the fear of the Lord. Sometimes they even see it more than you see it yourself. But in Joshua 2.8, as you begin to see them go into the promised land, it says, Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof at nine and said to them, she says, I know that the Lord has given you the land. And she says, the reason I know is because there's a great fear of you that is falling on us. Do our spies and intelligence <laughs> create fear? Fear of the Lord. <laughs> is it because of the Lord being with us? Maybe at one time. Maybe it used to be. It's so interesting to think that she said the reason we know that the land we live in now will be yours, that the Lord has given you our land, is because the fear of the Lord is on you. And it has fallen on us so that all who live in the country are melting in fear because of you. <laughs> we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. For you, when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to those two cities of Sihon and Og, and to the two kings of the Amorites, east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed, when we heard it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in the heaven above and the earth below. Spoken by Rahab. What a testimony. What a testimony to the fact that the enemy should not have courage against you. He should lose his courage. No one should have the courage to do evil against you. The next verse in verse 9, it says, And she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. So we have them turning into stone. We have them melting. We have them fainting. These are great word pictures. In Joshua 24, 12, it says, I sent the terror ahead of you to drive out before you the two Amorite kings. I gave you the victory, and it was not by swords or bows. It was by the fear of the Lord. I sent terror in ahead. That's the great way to fight. <laughs> They've cleared out. They've run before you even get there. But this is the work of intercession. This is the work of those who know the Lord speaking what we have. Joshua 24, 14 through 15. Now therefore, fear the Lord, serving in sincerity, genuineness, and truth. And put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
So you see Joshua mixing our famous for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. He mixes it with the fear of the Lord, serving in sincerity and in truth. Then you skip on down to the book of Samuel. I was like, Lord, it's in every book. It's just, I didn't realize what the fear of the Lord did. I had seen your miracles, but I didn't realize that the fear of the Lord was directly involved with every one of them. Like, if we're rejecting the fear of the Lord as a blessing, and we're trying to be nice, niceness is not winning evil people. Niceness is just making the steak have a softer meal. He doesn't have to chew as hard when they're eating us. Niceness is not working. It's the fear of the Lord. So 1 Samuel 5, 11, So they assembled all the leaders of the Philistines and said, Get the ark of God of Israel out of here. Let it go back to its own place so that it won't kill us and our people. For the terror of death was throughout the entire city, and God was attacking them very severely there. I like this one. The fear of the Lord makes people give back what is stolen. If Israel hadn't gotten into a problem here, they wouldn't have lost it to begin with. So sometimes we have something stolen because we don't have that fear of the Lord on us with our enemies. But even if it is stolen, the fear of the Lord can come and return it. It's amazing how the fear of the Lord does something to people that makes them do right. And we will serve the Lord. I don't care who you are. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And these foreign nations and their foreign gods will not be a part of us. We're not letting in this stuff that is abhorrent to God. The abominations. So 1 Samuel eleven seven, Saul took a team of oxen and he cut them into pieces. And he sent them throughout the land of Israel by messengers and said, This is what will be done to the ox of anyone who doesn't march behind Saul and Samuel. Do you know what he just used? Leverage. People didn't want to fight. Can you find Christians that want to fight? I can't even find Christians who want to come and eat, let alone get in the middle of a fight. So he says, I'm going to cut your oxen into uh, pieces. So maybe God wasn't with him. Maybe that wasn't the right way to do it. Oh, I just don't like a man that would leverage me. I just, I just feel controlled. I just feel like that something's not right about it. But notice the, the phrase in verse 7. But as a result of what Saul said, the terror of the Lord fell on the people, and they went out united. It's not how we're teaching it. We're trying to keep our boys out of fights on the playground when we're letting evil swallow us up. And this is the only time that I saw that Saul did something right and God honored it with the terror of the Lord falling on God's people who were passives, who weren't doing anything. And the terror of the Lord fell on them and they went out united. That's why we can't find unity. It has to start with the Beginning of knowledge, the fear of the Lord. So 1 Samuel 14, 15, Jonathan and his armor bearer, they caused terror to spread throughout the entire Philistine camp and the open fields to all the troops. Even the garrison and the raiding parties were terrified. Oh, I like this. The earth shook and terror spread from God. Terror of the Lord is so strong. 
it will make the earth shake. It will make the ground underneath you move. Yes, they're feeling it in their hearts because it's so strong wherever you go. First Samuel 14, 15. <clears throat> it shows us that before you walk into any battle, you need the terror of the Lord going in ahead of you. Before you walk into any conflict, before you walk into anything dangerous, the terror of the Lord needs to go ahead of you. Does this give you a new way to pray for people that are having to handle hard problems? That are having to go into what I'd call the lion's den? Where they're having to go among people who hate them and think they're crazy and saying all manner of evil against them? If you've got leadership, you need to pray that the fear of the Lord goes ahead of them before they have to do battle and stand up to the pressure that's trying to make all of us compromise. 1 Samuel 18, 12. And then David and Jonathan made a covenant. But notice what happened to Saul. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and had departed from Saul. So David and Jonathan make a covenant, and it's joy. But Saul becomes afraid. The fear of the Lord falls on people, and they become afraid of you, even in your own household. They get afraid of two people agreed upon what God thinks. Now we're moving into Second Chronicles. We're coming up on one of, of the best verses, but I want you to hear what goes on in a place with the fear of the Lord because they were so small as Israel was beginning to go into the promised land that they could have been killed by anyone if there hadn't been the thing called the fear of the Lord. We're never talking about that. That was what was with them. We know the cloud by day and the, the fire by night of just keeping the temperature right and the sun off of them and their shoes didn't wear out and all the things. But we don't think about that when they got on the battlefield, they need the terror of the Lord. And so we don't do battlefield conflict. The wilderness was a camp out. <laughs> they were camping in the wilderness. But they were fighting in the promised land. And so the terror of the Lord comes with battle. And in 2 Chronicles 14, 14, And they attacked all the cities around Gear, because the terror of the Lord was on them. They plundered all the cities since there was a great deal of plunder in them. Well, since there's plunder, I'll plunder them. And they attacked them because of the terror of the Lord. 2 Chronicles 17, 10, The terror of the Lord was on all the kingdoms that surrounded Judah. So they didn't fight against Jehoshaphat. They didn't fight against Jehoshaphat because the terror of the Lord was on everybody that surrounded him. 2 Chronicles 19.7 And now may the terror of the Lord be upon you. Watch what you do, for there is no injustice or partiality or being paid off with the Lord. Bribes won't work here. You can't play games here. The terror of the Lord, <laughs> may it be upon you. Who has ever blessed anyone? May the blessings of God be upon you. Yeah, I mean, we've moved it up to where we have certain blessings that we give people. You know, we bless them. They're sweet. You have your Irish blessings. You have your Jabez. We a lot of times give the prayer of Jabez over them. And we bless them. And, and we bless, bless them with the blessings. But I've never heard anyone walk up to me and say, and may the terror of the Lord be on you. <laughs> Watch what you do. Because there's no injustice or partiality or any bribes with the Lord. There's no one going to be paid off here. Boy, to carry the ark of the terror of the Lord. So 
now we're getting into that part of Chronicles that we all like, and it's basically I'm going to use the commentary on Jehoshaphat with this. I'm going to have a little bit of an insert, but it's that story where we all talk about the praisers went first. You see in verse 19 and 22 where it says they praised the Lord and they were given the victory. It's in this story that, you know, that we always talk about the praise of the Lord and the, the praisers went first. And we th- think of it in terms of our worship and our prayer and the, the prophetic word that Jehoshaphat received. But what's interesting in it is it also includes this verse that I'm going to read on the fear of the Lord. That the fear of the Lord is really what caused them to be able to get the spool. That they were able to clean up the battle with the fear of the Lord. And it explains how the fear of the Lord factored into this battle. And so you don't necessarily think about the fear of the Lord falling when there's praise. That the fear of the Lord falls and the battle is determined. That it's praise and worship and then it gives that result of the presence of the Lord. So this is such an important verse for understanding the fear of the Lord in conjunction with our praise and our worship. So the praise and the fear of the Lord work together. So in 2 Chronicles 20, 24, when the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked towards the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder, and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and also articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder, it took three days to carry it all and collect it. So on the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Baraka, where they praised the Lord. And this is why it's called the Valley of Baraka to this day. Then led by Jehoshaphat and all the men of Judah and Jerusalem, they returned joyfully to Jerusalem, for the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. They had a cause to rejoice over their enemies. They entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lyres and trumpets. Verse 29, the fear of the Lord came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. And when they heard what they had done, it says the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace for the Lord had given him rest on every side. When the fear of the Lord comes and you show yourself strong in battle and you show strength and not weakness and passivity, it gives room as you start to praise the Lord for all the good that he gives you that God can give you rest on every side, peace with the nations around you. Strength gives peace. It's a different ideal in military than what some people are proposing these days. Esther 9-2, in the days of King Ahasuerus provinces, the Jews assembled in their cities to attack those who intended to harm them. Not a single person could withstand them. Terror of them fell on every nationality. Terror of them. Psalm 2-11, serve the Lord in fear. Repent in terror. I've never heard a worship song with that one. Serve the Lord in fear, repent in terror. Psalm 610, all of my enemies will be ashamed and shake with terror. They will turn back and suddenly be disgraced. Psalm 920, put terror in them, Lord. Let the nations know they're only men. Some people need to be taken down a few notches. They think they're God. They think they're gods. They need to know they're only men. Fill them with terror. 
Psalm 25, 12 through 14. If there is any man who fears the Lord, he shall be shown the path that he should choose. He shall enjoy lasting prosperity, and his children after him will inherit the land. The Lord confides his purposes to those who fear him, and his covenant is theirs to know. Well, that's powerful. That's how you enter into covenant. Psalm 34, 9. Fear the Lord, all you holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. I like this one. Psalm 35, 5. Let them be like chaff before the wind, with the angel of the Lord driving them out. Let them be like what comes off of the wheat. Just the remnants, the chaff, as it comes off the wheat, let it be that the angel of the Lord like drives them away. Chased away by angels. It's not always touched by an angel. Sometimes you're chased by an angel. <laughs> the Lord is to be feared. Psalm 47, 2. The Lord Most High is to be feared and worshipped with all inspired reverence and obedience. He is a great king over all the earth. Psalm 48, 5. They looked and they froze with fear. But then they fled with terror. Psalm 53, 5. Then they will be filled with terror. Terror like no other. Because God will scatter the bones of those who besiege you. You will put them to shame for the Lord has rejected them. Proverbs 14, 26 through 27. David has spoken on this with the psalm. Solomon wants to get in on the little action. He who fears the Lord has a secure fortress. And his children it will be a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Turning a man from the snares of death. Proverbs nineteen twenty three, The fear of the Lord is life. And he who is full of it will rest untouched by evil. The fear of the Lord is life. And he who is full of it, full of the fear of the Lord, will rest untouched by evil. Proverbs 28.1, the wicked flee when no one is pursuing them. But the righteous are as bold as a lion. That's how you can tell who's wicked. Look who runs. And that's what we looked on that day. Who ran? Isaiah 2.11, go to the rocks and hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and from his majestic splendor. Isaiah 2.19, people will go into caves and the rocks and holes in the ground away from the terror of the Lord and from his majestic splendor when he rises to terrify the earth. Did you realize that's what he's rising to do? The first time he came to save us. The second time he's coming to terrify us. You look around and you're like, there's some people that need terrifying. Anything that's not right, even in us, needs to be terrified. Isaiah 2.21, they will go to the caves, the rock, and sand in the crevices of the cliffs, away from the terror of the Lord and from his majestic splendor when he rises to terrify the earth. You see how these dovetail into the books like Daniel and, and Revelation. That they're going into the caves. Isaiah 8.12 don't call conspiracy everything that these people call conspiracy and don't fear what they fear or live in terror or dread. The Lord of the heavenly armies, he's the one you're to regard as holy. Let him be the one you fear. Let him be the one you dread. Let him be the one before whom you stand in terror. With conspiracy all around us, don't call it what other people call it. Let God come on the scene and make a distinction. Let him make the difference. Let him be the one we fear and dread. There's too much around us we could fear and dread if we get our eyes off of him.
We won't make it without it. He is our fear. He is our dread. Isaiah 10, 33. Behold the Lord, the Lord of hosts shall lop the bow with terror, and the high ones of stature shall be hewn down, and the haughty will be humbled. Isaiah 11, 1 through 5. Now this was a question I had. What about the Messiah? What about the Christ? What about the anointed one? Is the fear of the Lord only going to be left in the Old Testament? Or did Jesus have the fear of the Lord? And if he did, how could he? He's God. How could Jesus have the fear of the Lord when God's his father? That didn't make sense. It didn't make sense for Jesus the son to have fear of his father. But I want you to hear this. Isaiah 11, 1 through 5. Then shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. A branch shall grow out of his roots. A branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So when he has wisdom and understanding and counsel and might and strength and knowledge... Jesus has the fear of the Lord. The Messiah has the fear of the Lord. His delight is the fear of the Lord. So he not only has it, he delights in it. And he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt of his waist. The Son of God himself, God with us, Emmanuel, had the fear of the Lord and had his delight in it. Shouldn't we? Isaiah 17, 4. In the evening, sudden terror, before morning, it's gone. This is the fate of those who plunder us and the lot of those who ravage us. Isaiah nineteen seventeen, And the land of Judah shall be a terror unto Egypt, and everyone that maketh mention therefore shall be afraid in himself because of the counsel of the Lord of hosts, which he has determined against it. So if the Lord makes a determination against a nation of not being God-fearing, then we should not be afraid of it. Isaiah 21.1, An oracle against the desert by the sea, like storms that pass over the Negev. It comes from the desert, from the land of Terah. <laughs> and then these are unusual verses, and you'll find them repeated in your Bible. Isaiah 24.17, Panic, pit, and trap await you who dwell on the earth. <laughs> Panic, pit, and trap. <laughs> Uh, it's not too funny. Okay, Isaiah 24, 18. Whoever flees at the sound of panic will fall into a pit. Whoever escapes from the pit shall be caught in a trap. For the windows are open from heaven and the fountains of the earth are shaken. And that's what's happening. If it's not something killing them, it's the fear of it killing them. If it's not disaster coming upon it, it's running from it. Uh, Isaiah 28, 19. Every time it passes through, it will carry you away. It will pass through every morning, every day, every night. Only terror will cause you to understand this message. Wow. Isaiah 54, 14. In righteousness shalt thou be established. Thou shalt be far from oppression, for thou shalt not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near thee. So the fear of the enemy, the fear that the enemy gives, shall not be a part of us, because we fear the name of the Lord. 
which is Isaiah 59, 19. So they will fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. For he will come in like a narrow rushing stream, which the breath of the Lord drives. And it says in parentheses, overwhelming the enemy with great terror. Jeremiah 32, 21. And has brought forth thy people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and with wonders and with a strong hand and with a stretched out arm and with great terror. I've always heard that verse. He did it with signs and wonders and with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. But it says, with great terror. Jeremiah 48, 43. Like I told you, it repeated from Isaiah. Terror and pit and trap <laughs> will be used against those who live in Moab, says the Lord. You wonder if it was an expression then. Jeremiah 48, 44. The one who flees from terror will fall into the pit, and the one who comes out of the pit will be caught in a trap. For I will bring upon her, that is Moab, the time of her punishment. And we're entering into the time of punishment. It's not that God's mercy ever runs out. It's just the time does. Yes. Daniel 5, 22 through 30. The fear of the Lord on Belshazzar for desecrating the holy vessels in the temple when the hand appeared on the wall writing a message. So the whole thing about Daniel 5, 22, when the hand just appeared out of nowhere and started writing on the wall, it was the fear of the Lord that had come upon Belshazzar. Because he desecrated the holy vessels and he had no use for the things of God. What we're seeing in people is the fear of the Lord beginning to fall. But we must call it as intercessors and those that are prophetic in nature and, and know the times and the seasons. It's the time for the fear of the Lord to come upon us. Zechariah thirteen fourteen, And it shall come about on that day that a great panic from the Lord will fall upon them. And they will seize one another's hand, and the hand of one will be raised up against the hand of another. So a great panic from the Lord will come. That's all that I found in the Old Testament on the moving of the fear of the Lord. Just a couple of scriptures. Yeah. Yeah, let it be confirmed with two or three. So in the New Testament... I'm just throwing this in because it's it's unique, kind of odd. But in Matthew 14, 26, it reads, When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. And they cried out, It's a ghost. And they screamed in terror. So I wrote beside that, They were afraid literally of the Lord. We talk about fear of the Lord, but they were literally afraid of the Lord. And they were with him all the time. But when they saw him in a capacity they weren't used to, or they saw him doing something they didn't think could be done by man, or they saw him in a way they weren't sure who he was, then they were literally afraid of him. Matthew 17, 6, On hearing this voice, the disciples fell on their faces and were filled with terror. In Matthew 27, 54, As for the captain and the soldiers who were with him keeping guard over Jesus, when they witnessed the earthquake and the other occurrences, they were filled with terror. And when they were filled with terror, after having kept guard over him, and they saw an earthquake and all the other things, it says, when they were filled with terror, they exclaimed, Surely, assuredly, he was the Son of God. This is the way that they'll turn to the Lord. It's the fear of the Lord. This is your verse when you're saying, Let the fear of the Lord fall. Because when he falls and they see all these occurrences, they think they're guarding Jesus. 
to keep him in place, to keep him out of what they don't want him into. When they want him um, to stay put, when they put God in a box, then they witness that God breaks out of the box and the earthquake occurs and they are filled with terror. That causes them. And they say, assuredly, he was God's son. Mark six forty nine. and when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and they cried out in horror. In Mark four forty one, and they were filled with terror and began to say to one another, who is this then that even the wind and the sea obey him? His authority filled him with terror. His own people. His authority over natural forces filled them with terror. If you have the authority of the believer and you have authority over the wind, the sea, the storms, it will cause the terror of the Lord to fall on people. So in Jesus' ministry, of course, you have that Isaiah 11, 1 through 5, that he shall be that rod from the stem of Jesse, that the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel, of might, and the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. The prophetic, this is prophetic telling you about the fear of the Lord in him. The Son of God himself, God with us, had the fear of the Lord and the delight of the fear of the Lord in him. That's a prophetic concept. Hebrews 5, 7, Who in the days of his flesh, when he was offered up, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears, to him who was able to save him from death, he was heard because of his godly fear. He was heard by God because of his godly fear. Hebrews 12, 28, Wherefore we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Jesus has the fear of the Lord, and that's unusual in our thinking. I think that's why we missed it in studying the concept of the fear of the Lord. Because when they say the fear of the Lord, they have all those scriptures I just read to you. That's their perception of it. In times... Revelation 11, 11. If you're wanting to look at the 11s, Revelation 11, 11. But after three and a half days, the breath of life from God came into them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear and panic fell on all those who were watching them on their iPhones. I mean, who were watching them. <laughs> Revelation 19, 5 through 9. And then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thunderings, I say, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. It starts with, Praise our God, all you servants and those who fear him. That's who's there. So, in looking at the biblical weight of the fear of the Lord, and also of the understanding of how present the fear of the Lord was all through biblical history. We are missing the mark by a mile if we don't graciously receive the fear of the Lord and say, this is what God has given us, and this is what fights for us and on our behalf, and then we can walk into our battles 
Because the fear of the Lord has already prepared the way for us. And so suddenly I was encouraged that after we had had come up with this, let's just agree on the fear of the Lord, I had no idea what we were praying. I had no idea what God had put in his scripture. I had no idea how much the fear of the Lord plays an effect from the beginning of Genesis clear through Revelation that all through history the fear of the Lord is present and that might be what we're missing in what we're interceding and praying for our nation, for our country, and for the evil and for the times that we live. It's the fear of the Lord. Amen.